This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through 20th in Washington, D.C. Visit evangelicals.life for more information. Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I regularly interact in a fun and humorous way with my friend, Dean and Sarah. Dean is the pastor at City Church in Tallahassee, and Dean is going to join the podcast. We're going to talk about a variety of things. First of all, celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the church he planted there. We're going to talk about pastoring in the Bible Belt uh, to people who may be culturally churched, but not necessarily Christians about doing ministry near a college campus and what has worked well for them, and also about pastoring in a capital city with politicians regularly coming through and how churches can interact with public officials. I'm sure you'll enjoy this fun conversation with my friend Dean and Sarah. Dean, thanks for being here, man. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're, you're on the Way Home podcast. It's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. I'm, I'm on the way home to get a pumpkin spice latte right now. So exactly. it, all, it all works. Yeah. Got your flannel on? Got my flannel on, beard grown. Yeah. Hand on hip, PSL in hand, all is well. Hebrew Bible verse tattoo? Uh, coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. <laughs> exactly. Well, th- uh, there's a bunch of things I want to talk about, but first, uh, you guys celebrated this year the 10-year anniversary of City Church. So how cool was that? Oh, man, it was awesome. And we were well aware of the entire process of the statistics about church planting. I think it's gotten better since our Send North America strategy got in place. But uh, before that, you hear stories about like 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 church plants don't make it after three years. And we always just knew those stats. They always just kind of lingered over us. And by God's grace, this is a fully thriving, multi-generational, like established church now. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly than that, we're we're reaching people, we're seeing people come to know the Lord, and people grow in their faith, and we're seeing a campus impacted, and it's been a really neat story. So it was a great celebration. I mean, when we you made a big deal about it, when you started, it was basically, you know, a couple dozen people in your living room, right? Essentially. Yeah, at, at my parents' house. Yeah, because their house is bigger than mine, so we needed uh, so we needed a place where we could just set up, and there's really some friends and some friends of friends, and I think out of those 22 people. 10 had my last name, so they kind of had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a really small right. group. And and then with just people that committed and got on board and said, let's reach our city, that Tallahassee is of the capital of Florida. You reach the capital of Florida, you can have a worldwide impact from here. Yeah. And yeah. by God's grace, we've, we're seeing it happen. Well, what's interesting, you know, I mean, you, you kind of planted right when church planning was starting to be a thing, but not necessarily in the SBC. Like you didn't have kind of all the overhead uh, help that a lot of churches are, are, are rightly getting right now. So uh, what was kind of, I don't want to say what was the secret, but what what was it that really you think propelled you to, to do so well there? I think we were locked in that, that ground zero for mission begins in Tallahassee. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know any church planting blogs. I couldn't name you any famous pastors. I didn't know anything. I, I wasn't listening to podcasts um, we we joked that we planted in the PKE, which is pre-Kevin Ezell yes. uh, era uh, of church planting. So we had no guidance. Uh, I went to a thing called Church Planting Boot Camp, and uh, that was fine. But it was just where you practice writing your vision statement and talking about your mission. And I, <laughs> and I didn't have I didn't have any vision statement. I just wanted to reach my city. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to do the Great Commission. And so I felt really awkward and out of place, and like I was wasn't going to do a very good job. So all these guys have these really trendy well-crafted, you have to be like a wordsmith to write them, yeah. uh, type of things they were putting together. And I'm sitting there going, I went to high school in Tallahassee, and I still have all my friends there who are lost, and I just want to reach them, and I think the local church is the best way to do that. 
I, I'm not being like snarky or sarcastic. That's really what I was yeah. thinking. I had no, I had no idea. And I think the secret sauce, I guess, in the early days for us was that we didn't worry about any of that other kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we weren't trying to like have pastor luncheons and you know going on having coffee with every youth minister in town. We were just trying to reach people, man. And, yeah. and we and we went full speed into that. So sometimes I think if we would have had the manual, it might not have gone as well as it did. I mean, one of the things you know, I've, I've been there a few times to see you know what's going on there, and one of the things that's really impressive is just how embedded your people are and you are in the city. In terms of just in the life of the city, not not just at what's going on uh, at Florida State there, but also just what's going on in the life of the city. And it seems like that has earned you trust for people to trust you to come to church, right? Yeah, we don't want to build a city within a city. We want to be in our city, if that makes sense. And uh, you know, influence. Our goal is not to have influence just in Christian circles. We want to be a normal part of everyday Tallahassee life. So I, I believe that the relationships that we have built in town, not just me, but just are the average city church member to the staff member to the elder, that that makes our church happen. It's that people already know us before they come. And yeah. because they've been either hearing about city church, they know someone or they work with someone or work out at the gym next to someone from city church. And we just really, I, I would say that like kind of one of our core discipleship values, what it looks like to really follow Jesus into the world is what we call be a normal part of everyday Tallahassee life. Mm. And that, that, that's, that's mattered. I mean, I've heard you speak on this before, and one of the things that you really encourage people to do, which I think is just great, is like, you know, go join sports leagues in the city if you're going to, if you have a sport or hobby, or go be part of the um, parent-teacher organization at your school, or just, just be involved uh, in city life. And uh, you're, you have a saying, and I think it's true, that people will come to church on the arm of a friend. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I, I always get a little sad for a pastor and feel bad for them when they say things, when they believe things like if they just change their style of music, it's going to reach people. And I'm going, reach, reach which people? Well, why would a non-Christian care if your church has a certain kind of music style? They're lost. They're not coming to church. Yeah. So I just, I just always feel bad for those folks, and they really sincerely believe that that is like an answer, or they, or they get a better lobby or better coffee. It's like, well, lost people don't, don't know about that. You're not on their radar unless people from your church are a part of their lives. So we tell our folks, resist. one of our core values from the very beginning was to resist the temptation to create Christian alternatives. And we use ministry language around them. So we might say, oh, we need a basketball gym because if we do that, then all these people are going to come show up and play here. They might show up, but I don't think it's very likely unless you have this really well-oiled, organized league. We want our folks, instead of having people come here to play basketball or to play soccer or to be in the band, the kids' choir or whatever, we want our folks to join things that already exist in town. Mm. Like go join the rec league, go join the YMCA, go be a part of what's already out there rather than us trying to create alternatives. And that's also part of being for the city. People like to use that term, the whole for the city idea, is let's not compete with the city. Let's go join the city mm-hmm. where they're already doing things and being people's lives and relationships. Because people are not going to come to church because they heard the pastor's funny or because the coffee's great. If they're lost, they're going to come to church because a trusted friend invited them. Mm. And, and that's how it works. Yeah, and and you also have a thing where... If people love their church, they'll invite people to church, right? So no apologizing oh, for, yeah. for things. I, I think that's one of the dirty little secrets in, in, in the evangelistic tied to the local church process is that people aren't going to invite someone to a church they secretly wish they didn't have to attend themselves. They're there because of family tradition. They're because they've you know, known the pastor since they were a baby or because Nana's in the front row. And all those things are fine, but you're not going to invite someone to a church service that you're counting on the, the seconds and minutes until it's over. So we want to create a church our folks want to bring their lost friends to. 
because people are only going to give you one shot in our very you know just cynical, critical, tough culture today. So we want our folks to have full confidence in their church that if they bring their friend, they don't have to give five disclaimers on the way there and don't have to give five apologies on the way home. We call it the double promise. No disclaimer on the drive there, no apology on the way home. We work really hard to make sure our folks trust us as a church staff, and, and but also that they're a part of creating themselves a church they'd want to bring their friend to be a part of. You've written and spoken a lot about what it's, it's like to pastor and to preach in the Bible Belt. I think, you know, you're in the heart of the Bible Belt there in, in Tallahassee, and uh, we're here in Nashville, which is part of the, the sort of Bible Belt, whatever that means anymore. We're not even quite sure. But uh, preaching to people who might think that they're Christians because they got into church, or it, there's kind of a unique uh, approach to um, to preaching in that context, right? Oh, yeah, because there is no clear-cut starting point. Like with an atheist or an agnostic, you have a starting point. You know, it's unbelief, or it's not quite ready to officially declare unbelief, but close enough. Um, For the person who is down and out and not a believer, maybe they're just completely broken and and everything is just bottomed out in their life, you have a clear starting point. For your next-door neighbor in the suburban South that thinks they're a great person and a great dad and a good employee or a good boss and thinks they're absolutely fine, they're really hard to reach especially when they have theistic language sprinkled on it, where, do you, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, what do you mean by that? And by that, they just mean they're not Jewish or Muslim, and they're American, and they get choked up during God Bless America at a baseball game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they mean by being a Christian. You ask them about who Jesus is, ask them about the gospel, and they have no idea. I mean, they know, they know that Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. They'll be able to tell you that. And they know about Good Friday, and they know about Easter, but the personal significance of why that matters, they're completely clueless. Because what's still very prominent here in the Bible Belt, even though the churches aren't very big, they still exist, is a lot of mainline Protestantism that has a lot of family legacy. It's kind of the downtown, very nice mm-hmm. church. Everybody dresses up. It's a big deal for the family. Um, a lot of family pressure to be there, especially on Mother's Day, You know, days, day, days that, that are kind of family Instagram-y kind of days. Mm-hmm. And um, what's happened is they've been in church their entire lives. So they think they're Christians, and they are theists. They, believe, they have a basic belief in God, but... They've never been told the gospel. They've never been told that they're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness and grace. They've mm. never been told about the blood of Christ. They might even take the Lord's Supper four times a year mm. and still have never been told about the blood of Christ. That's a mm. hard starting point. So we say here, kind of half-joking, but it's true, you have to get someone lost in the South in order to get them saved. That's exactly right, yeah. And but, that's, that's it's, it's complicated, but what an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I was raised in that. So I was raised going to church my entire life. And didn't hear the gospel until I was a teenager. So you know all the language and all the... Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's my story. That's honestly one of the reasons why we planted a church 10 years ago in Tallahassee, was we wanted to change that story in our city. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You have a pretty robust college ministry, which is, uh, you know, you're right there with uh, Florida State there. And it's interesting how you've been able to cultivate such a good uh, relationship there. I mean, where you have the president of Florida State you know, on stage at your church and you do Q&As with them and things like that. Uh, how has that developed and, and w- what's kind of been your college ministry strategy there, for lack of a better term? Well, one, let's go all in for the local church being the place to reach college students. And for too long, we've either farmed it out to a campus ministry and, and, and believe that was a solution in, in Baptist life, especially in my tribe, or... Uh, we have uh, just made this kind of college and career Sunday school class to make sure that there's something going on for the person after they graduate uh, so they don't run to a church somewhere else. Well, guess what's going to happen? They're eventually going to run to a church somewhere else or, or stop being a part of a church altogether. That's actually what usually happens. So we're saying the local church should be 
plan A, not just for reaching the city, but for reaching the campus. That's a part of our city. So we got our folks very early on to be able to see that the largest mission field possibly in America is the college campus. Mm. And that and, and all the Bible Belt stuff goes away on the college campus because you have people, especially in Florida. See, Tallahassee's more, it, it starts the panhandle. So we're really close to Georgia and Alabama, and it's all, it's all southern rural around Tallahassee. Uh, but with state government and the campus, we have people who come to us from all over the state, from Orlando, from Miami, from Tampa, and they're not southern at all those places. Uh, so there's a lot of people who are marginal Catholics, a lot of folks who have no religious affiliation at all, and they're coming to us. Also, there's a big international draw at Florida State. So what an opportunity for the local church. So our answer to that is going to be, let's start a campus ministry and let them do their own little thing. No, let's get an entire church, the resources, uh, the, the mm. people, everything that the church brings to the table behind reaching college students. So mm. we've just really been involved on campus from the very beginning. Uh, our strategy, we have campus ministry kids who come to our church. Yeah, and we think that's great. Uh, but our strategy has never been to reach them. We kind of see them as a bonus. We out of the gate went after the fraternities and the sororities and the FSU baseball team and built relationships with coaches. And well, let's go reach the influencers mm. and let's go reach people that aren't automatically connected to something because on the first day of school when they get here, their parents walk them over to the church ministry fair. Mm. Like we're, <laughs> if they come to our church, we're wonderful. And then they can be a great addition. And we, and we love those ministries, but that's not who we're trying to reach. Mm. So um, I think how we unapologetically went after it right away and made no excuses. It's easy to make excuses about college students. Well, you know, we just don't have these things in place. We had 20 folks in a living room and went and, and went after college students mm-hmm. because if they're in your city and most decent-sized towns at least have a community college or a junior college, you need to make sure that you have a strategy of how you're going to connect with them. And then that's what we try to do. And it doesn't seem like it has to be these big, huge blowout events either, just kind of building relationships, right? Oh, yeah, and we do both. We do the big, huge blood event, and we just hang out. Uh, and so for the first three years of our church, all we did was a thing called college dinners. Mm-hmm. We have a family in our church host dinner at their house, and it was a big commitment. It was expensive for those people. We didn't have the money to reimburse them or anything like that. And they would feed 75, 100 college students at their house. Wow. It'd be something simple like taco salad or hot dogs. It was that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we'd have 100 college students. It'd be, it'd be as high as that, show up at someone's house in our church family, and they'd be there, and we'd have all of our – I was the only full-time staff member for the first five years, actually, of our church, which is crazy, But mm-hmm. um, just because of having so many students, budget-wise. Uh, but we would have any key volunteers show up. We'd have group leaders show up, and that's how people connected. So it doesn't have to be flashy. Uh, just get in front of them. Get them a part of something. And also, we have to make sure that we're equipping college students. And that has to be a big part of your ministry, is how are they going to live for Jesus in the world? Mm-hmm. And sadly, what's happened with a lot of college ministry is we basically have said, how do we help them make friends and not drink alcohol? Mm. it's almost like no one no one will admit that out loud that's kind of like how college ministry functions we're like forget those things how do we equip these students to live for christ on campus right like that's what we want to do it's not my job to find them friends and they get here and keep them from drinking it's it's our job to equip them and send them every day into the most secularized part of our city which is the college campus it's such a formative time too because sometimes you know they'll go off to a career somewhere else but it seems like a lot of times they'll stay in their college town and then so uh, they get married and they have kids and all of a sudden your church goes from predominantly college students to all, you have all these young marrieds because they've grown up and, and all that. So it just seems like a really formative time to reach them, right? Yeah. And I had a pastor tell me very early on, he said, it's going to change the game for you guys is your college students staying in Tallahassee and get, starting families getting jobs. Mm. And he was right. That's actually what happened. Mm. Uh, so we went from 90% college students our first two or three years. And I was only 26 when we started the church. So I get where families and 
older adults, you know, there's probably a credibility issue. Like I, I, I'm at a chip on my shoulder back then about it, but I understand it now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but so we had probably 90, maybe more than 90% college students. And mm. then now we're a fully functionally, our fully functional multi-generational church mm. um, that has 80 plus year olds and has newborns and everywhere in between. But all these people are united around the desire to still reach a lot of college students. And by the Lord's grace, we are. That's pretty great. Um, you're also in the state capital too, Tallahassee being, being there. And so, you know, what is it like for churches that are, first of all, in state capitals, uh, but even if you're not, uh, to reach out and minister to politicians and, and uh, as real people and not, you know, sort of always hitting them up for things. But, you know, what does ministry look like in near a state capital like that? Well, I think that one, when your elected officials or those involved in state government come to, to be a part of your church, they need to be able to take a deep breath where they really are hearing the gospel of grace in the world they're in that's high pressure, can't trust anybody, everybody out from political agendas. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, it's got to be absolutely exhausting. And mm-hmm. I want this to be a place where they can come in and just, and just hear about what Christ has done for them, for the person that's seeking for the first time, to the one who's been a Christian for 35 years, just to be refreshed and reminded of the gospel. And that's not cliche. Like, we really need to create those kind of churches, especially everywhere, uh, but just in capital cities, where these folks can come in and just take a deep breath. And then second, the same approach we have with our athletes, like, we really try hard to treat them as regular people. Us, when they're here, they're not the baseball player, they're not the county commissioner, they're, mm-hmm. not, the, they're not the, you know, lieutenant governor. Uh, they can just be part of things. And so we just try to keep a low profile with it, so that really matters. And then to find little ways just to be connected. Um, so yeah, a, a lunch here, a card there, Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, and then if there is something big that happens, we do maybe make a bigger deal about it because we want them to feel support from their church. Uh, so one of our church members was, who was uh, who ran Volunteer Florida, which is a governor appointed position, uh, left a couple months ago uh, to go uh, head up AmeriCorps mm. in Washington D.C. So we brought him up on stage and his family awesome. before he left, and we prayed for him, and we said this is a big deal, and and uh, and we we wanted him to see it as he was being sent, and we wanted our church to see that he was being sent. So while we want them to be normal people, if there are significant things, we want them to know their church is behind them. So mm. we make it about the individual and not about the politics, uh, well, while at the same time not being ashamed to admit that they're working a really intense job that has a lot of pressure and they need their church's support. And this is this is family. You know, ele- elephants and donkeys aren't family. Th- this is family. Mm. And I think I think the church can really help folks break through all these tensions we have if we go back to seeing it about people before we see it about anything. Yeah, else. I mean, and if you're typically if you're a politician, you know, you're you're almost scared to go to church because you know you're gonna be hit up, right? You oh, know, yeah. well, why did you vote this way in this thing? Or how come you didn't do this over here? Or can you or if you're an athlete, right? Can you sign this for my for my daughter? Can you do this? Can you do that? How do you kind of protect those those folks from that? You just kinda yeah, well and we do have the guy who shows up when it comes campaign season, we always have that. I'll walk out in the lobby and walk like six or seven weeks in a row and there'll be a different politician out there shaking yeah. people's hands. So yeah. we, we do have that too in a government town. But, um, you know, I, I think that with the, with the athletes, we just really, we don't highlight them. Like I, I won't like, I, I might do a shout out from the, uh, from the pulpit if there's like a significant thing they're getting ready to go do. Like if mm-hmm. one of our guys is leaving to go to spring training, or you know, is is leaving to go to the NFL draft? Like then, you know, we want their then to know their church supports them. Yeah. Uh, so we'll so we'll just give them. You know, we might give them like an acknowledgement from stage and let them know we're praying for them. But we're not going to make them come up on stage and give a testimony and and those type of things. Like we want them to be able to be normal while at the same time being supported specifically in what they do. I mean, what they're not singled out is we do the same thing for our teachers before they start the first day of school. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have them stand up and I'll say a prayer for them because we think they're going to the mission field on Monday morning when school starts back up. Uh, so, you know, and I think, I think a lot of it too, don't, don't, don't miss this part, is up to the athlete and up to the politician that they can make a decision to become a part of the church and to get involved in the church. So they make a decision to serve, they make a decision to be in a group, and we've seen that happen, then they're going to be viewed as by their name rather than by the name the politician or by their name the baseball player. Uh, They're going to be known for who they are before what they do. So Mm -hmm. some of that also is on that person, and we miss that part sometimes. We've got to be able to do the Word of God, not just speak the truth. That we must unapologetically testify that God values all life, from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. What does it really mean to be pro-life? You know, all around us, it seems like the world is on fire. There are refugees and orphans who are in desperate need of care. There's a foster care system that seems like it's overloaded. There's natural disasters and wars. And there's evils like abortion and racism and white supremacy. What does it look like for the people of God to move into those spaces and to speak up for life? If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. We'd like you to join us in Washington, D.C. this January 18th through 20th for our annual Evangelicals for Life event that we co-host with Focus on the Family. This two-day event will feature very compelling speakers like Russell Moore, Jenny Yang from World Relief, Johnny Erickson Tata, Rich Stearns, Jim Daly, and of course the music of Shane and Shane. I think you'll enjoy coming not just to be equipped, to be a champion for life in your community using your gifts in whatever area God calls you, but also to meet with other champions for life. And then there'll be a special opportunity to participate in the March for Life where thousands of people from around the country make their voice heard in Washington, D.C. and stand up for the sanctity of human life. So will you join us for Evangelicals for Life January 18th through the 20th and use the coupon code WAYHOME for a 20% discount. These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings. So one more question. How do you like the Patriots season so far this year? Uh, Good? Bad? You worried? You nervous? Our our, our mutual friend Jared Wilson and I go at it about this. We're the two biggest Patriot fans in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, But he's the eternal Patriot optimist, and I think the sky is falling. So I am very, very concerned about the defense. While and also no Gronk, um, well Gronk in and out, and no Edelman, while also being grateful to be in the AFC East. Yes, that is my position. Yes, Just extremely concerned yet grateful for the schedule. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, man. Dean, I appreciate you joining me, man. And this oh, was yeah, kind of like it. our ERLC late nights, but on the radio. On the radio, I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being at EFL in Washington D.C. in January. All right, man. And hopefully for some uh, late night chat. Hopefully celebrating a Patriots playoff run by that time. Yeah, and maybe a Cubs World Series victory. Who knows? Hey, we'll see. <laughs> we, we will see. All right, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on DanielDarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.